Hey, and welcome to Muscle Talk Podcast, by far the best bodybuilding podcast where you'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about building muscle, cutting up, nutrition, using supplements, prepping for competition, dealing with injury, training, recovering, and keeping a winning mindset. I'm Christine Emble, three times world champion and former IFBB professional bodybuilder, food scientist, and co-owner and supplement developer for the show's host, International Protein. If you're enjoying Muscle Talk podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a little time and leave us a five-star review on Spotify or whichever platform you're listening on. It'll only take a few seconds and it will allow other people to discover our show and share the knowledge. Hey, and welcome to Muscle Talk podcast version two. It's been about 15 months since we recorded our last Muscle Talk and you know, to be quite honest, I didn't think that we would be coming back because, I, you know, we recorded it, we did it, we, we covered all the topics and I thought that would be the end of it. But much to my surprise, every week we just continued to get more and more downloads so more and more people were discovering the information. And what it made me realise was that the content that we had put out and the information around bodybuilding and nutrition was absolutely timeless. So if you're one of those listeners who listened to the, you know, 53 shows that we did on the original Muscle Talk, and I really do want to thank you for, you know, supporting us and listening. And I hope that you, you know, enjoy the new content that we put out. What I, I wanted to take a moment to appreciate you because I know there's a lot of podcasts out there on our topics, on any kind of topic. You could be listening to absolutely anything. So it does mean a lot that you've taken a moment to listen to Muscle Talk. So, you know, in the last series, we covered a heap of different topics. We covered everything from you know, specific supplements. We talked about hard gainers. We talked about even, you know, training during COVID because it was so relevant at the time. But what I wanted to do in this series is obviously I'm going to still do, you know, some solo podcasts, but moving forward, I really want to get a lot of experts on the show. I want to get people who have a broader range of knowledge, whether it be from training, whether it be around the nutritional side of it, whether it be around dealing with injuries and, and mindset. So moving forward, we're going to be doing a different format, interview type format, but our first one to kick off, you know, keeping in the vein of how Muscle Talk was, we're going to keep it solo. So what I wanted to talk about was three different things, which I wish I had done different when I was bodybuilding. And just I'll take a, a moment to pause there. So anyone who doesn't know who I am, I was a former professional bodybuilder. I competed for over about 25 years all up, you know, winning three world titles and also competing at the Olympia, competing at the highest level that you possibly could in bodybuilding. So I know a little bit about training. I know a little bit about what it takes to get on stage. And I also have a degree in, in food science and nutrition. So I know a, a tiny little bit about nutrition as well. But, but what I would want to say is I have a lot of practical experience and so much has changed in the last 25 years and new knowledge keeps coming out. And I look back and I think at the things that we did back in the day, you know, what would I have done different if I was able to go back and, and compete all over again? So there's, there's three main things that I want to cover. I'm not going to cover them all in the one podcast. I'm just teasing you a little bit there. So today we're actually going to talk about diet cycling. And that's really the number one thing I wish I had done differently. Uh, if, I, if I were starting out in bodybuilding now, getting into it, 100%, I would be looking into um, you know, managing my nutrition in a different way. So let's just take a, a step back because everyone does do it different. But back in the day, Literally, you know, you would diet anywhere from, you know, 12 weeks, which would be a fairly short kind of a diet up to anywhere 26 to 28 weeks, depending on 
what your run of shows were and you would start the diet and you would just keep on going. Like you just diet, diet, you know, slowly bring it in, slowly bring your calories down, slowly increase the amount of work that you were doing. And essentially what would happen would be each time that you did that, your metabolism would get a little bit suppressed. So each time that you would go to diet again, you'd have to diet that little bit harder or do that little bit extra cardio and, you know, to get the condition that you needed to get. And that over, you know, a period of years becomes like takes its toll on the body. But sometimes the mindset is, you know, harder is better. And that is what pushed us to do that type of thing. So what I wanted to do was talk about a few of the the stats and the studies that have come out in more recent years, which will really make you think differently. Like you may be already doing diet cycling because as I said, new knowledge comes out, people try different things. Back in our day, there was like the cheat day, which was, you know, considered somewhat of a diet cycle. People talked about carb cycling. It's not necessarily the same thing. Um, And I will just quickly talk about the cheat meal because that's something where it's, if it's randomly done and you just having one particular cheat meal, yeah, that can push your calories up, but it's not it's not necessarily long enough to really have an impact. And when I say long enough, I mean, you, you need to, when you need to do diet cycling, you need to do a certain kind of sequence and cadence and one meal isn't necessarily going to do what you need. But then on the flip side, if you do a cheat day, it can be too many calories and it can end up counterproductive where you're stacking yourself with more calories than what you actually need. So it's not really boosting your metabolism up as much as it's giving you a whole bunch of extra calories that you have to try to then diet harder to get in the end. So that was, that was what was popular in the day. And and I tended to stay away from that because I didn't, you know, I think also, you know, there was a lot of confusion around whether it worked or didn't work, what it actually did to your metabolism and the, the science just wasn't there to support it. The other thing was when you're in the groove and when you're dieting really, really well, and you go and expose yourself to a whole lot of sweet stuff or, or, you know, good tasting stuff, it can actually be really hard to get back on the wagon, basically. And then that cheat day becomes a cheat week. And then before you know it, you've blown your diet and you're not able to get on stage. And I know that there'd be a few people that would relate to that. And that's probably why so many people don't make it to stage because, um, you know, it just, once you've fallen off that far, it's really, really hard to get back on. So Part of my thing was just like, let's just tough it out and get there. But as I said, you know, the impact of that for me to be weighing somewhere in the realm of 72 kilos, training with heavy weights for up to two hours, two and a half hours a day on leg day, six days a week, doing up to two hours of cardio and to only be eating 1600 calories. And I'll say that again more slowly, 1600 calories. You know, when I look back now, that's absolutely ridiculous, but and, and particularly carrying that amount of muscle, doing that amount of work. So I know I have metabolic damage from that. I can happily say that I eat a lot more than that now. I'm obviously not as lean as in comp state, but I have learned a lot and I have put a lot of different, you know, cycling methods into practice. So coming back to what I wanted to say about the research, there's a couple of things I wanted to say. I have notes here because I'm used to being asked questions and I find it really easy to answer questions when I'm kind of talking on the fly. When I want to make a point and say certain things, I find I get really, really off track. So that's why I have my notes here. As we get better at this, we will be able to do it without the notes. But what I wanted to say was um, extremely long periods of calorie restriction. And when I say long periods, effects of this is noticed within eight weeks. So that's actually not a really long period of time when you think about it, like in, in the context of a bodybuilding diet, where, as I said, usually, you know, 12 weeks was the minimum that you might do. And then you'd be doing 16 or 20 or even longer as you had more shows. 
And for me, commonly, that was 24 to 28 weeks. So eight weeks is two months. And after that period of time already, there was a noticeable 250 calorie drop. And when, and when we say 250 calorie drop, that basically means that if for your body size, you would be expected to burn X amount of calories. Now for that same body size and work that you were doing, your body would burn 250 calories less. And that's pretty significant because when I would, um, you know, put someone on a diet, someone on a diet or go on a diet myself, about negative 300 calories from, from maintenance would be where I would start. So that's almost like taking away that first step of where you take your diet has basically been eradicated because of being on continual dieting. So, so that was number one. And that's been backed up by research where people after eight weeks are going to get that, that noticeable drop. Now, they noticed that after around three weeks, drop started to occur. But if in the fourth week, people brought their calories back up again, that actually brought their metabolism back higher than what it was when it started. So that's actually, it's such a simple thing. Three weeks dieting, one week off the diet. And when I say off the diet, I don't mean go crazy, go, you know, eat whatever you want. It's a very controlled situation where you're going from being in a negative state to maybe being on maintenance or just slightly above maintenance. But in this particular study, after three weeks, they had a, like a hundred calorie drop in what their body was burning at. But when they re had a refeed weight for one week, their metabolism came back and went beyond where it had been before they started the diet. So that's really, really encouraging to run a diet cycle like that. The other thing is that you can do five days of dieting and two days off. And that's something that I actually employed more in my off season as I got older I found that eating very systematically for five days of the week and then coming up on the weekends to a more, you know, not again, not going crazy, but just having, you know, a surplus of calories was a really, really good way of not letting the off-season body weight get too far out of control, but also protecting the metabolism in the off-season because this is, you know, when you're younger, it's not such an issue, but as competitors get older, as you get over 35, as you get over 40, you don't want, you find that if you eat, freely and you eat whatever you want in your off season, that things can get out of control very, very quickly. And then you do have to spend all of that time dieting it back off again, which is, you know, just ends up in that cycle. So you often find yourself restricting your calories or, you know, controlling your diet in the off season as well, which then in that effect is potentially going to suppress your metabolism. So using that five days, two days for an off season way of controlling your weight, but not suppressing your metabolism in the process. Because obviously the idea of the off season is to allow your body to relax, to allow it to grow so that when you come into your next comp phase, you're not already at a, at a um, suppressed rate. So that's a really, really key thing there that, you know, especially now with people wanting to keep in shape more for the off season because of social media, wanting to have good footage all the time. Back in the day, you know, people let them, I'm not going to, I'm going to say we let ourselves go. I'm going to say that um, it wasn't the pressure on to be in some kind of, you know, photographable shape. So the pro bodyboarders would really, really relax. And I think that uh, Lee Priest is, you know, a classic example of that where, you know, he would eat his KFC, eat whatever, and people would see him like so, so ginormous. And he used to say, like, he literally had to do that in order to keep his metabolism going and to keep him also mentally fresh so that when he come back into the diet phase, he didn't feel like he'd already been restricting himself and his body didn't feel like it had already been restricting himself itself. So I think that's a really, really key point for off season that, you know, when you're bodybuilding, it's not just about the comp phase, it's, it's, tw it's 12 months a year. Like you're either in some kind of phase getting ready for your next show. So you really need to be mindful of, of making sure that you're keeping everything working as, as well as it possibly can. So 
literally, as I said, the six, six day, one day, I think the five days, two days is way more effective. And then also three weeks of diet, one week off, that's been proven. And I think there's another study where five weeks of diet, two weeks coming off. There's a couple of other studies I've read, but they're all around that same kind of sequence. And that, so that's something if you're going in for a 16 week diet, just mapping it out and saying, okay, I'm going to do it in four week blocks, three weeks of you know restriction, one week coming up a bit, three weeks going back down. In all of these studies, the overall weight loss was the same, regardless of whether the person didn't come off the diet at all and just stayed. But that's obviously because over that period of time, the person's metabolism slowed down. So they had to keep on pushing harder to keep the weight coming down. Whereas when the person allowed it to come back up again, they could burn those extra calories. So yeah, so that, that was just some really, really interesting notes that I had, which kind of supported, as I said, the way that I felt about, you know, it always really frustrated me. The fact that I was, you know, weighing 72 kilos and training so hard and eating so little food, you know, you do get used to it. And that was all just part of um, comp prep and everything. But when I look back now and I say, if I was in my in my twenties and I was going into it and I was going to put someone in a, in a comp prep or I was going to do it myself. I definitely would be doing that movement and that manipulation way more frequently than just kind of like set, forget, and just use that process of always reducing, 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 or increasing cardio. So that would be you know, definitely something that I would have changed. Um, if I could go back now, obviously I'm not going to go back now. That's a whole other story. I hope you're enjoying Muscle Talk podcast brought to you by International Protein. If you're located outside Australia, you can purchase our products from our website, which is www.international-protein.com. But if you live in Australia, you'll have to find us in your favorite store. And if they don't stock us, ask them to drop us a line and let us know that you want our products. What I did also want to say was um, when I was looking into this to try to find a little bit of research to, um, to back, my, back up my theory, one of the particular studies looked at high carbohydrate and high protein and to see whether this made a difference in you know, what, you know, the impact on the metabolism. Because interestingly, high protein is, is used at like, if, if they, people say like, how do you speed your metabolism up? The recommendation is go and eat high protein. And yet in this particular study where they fed some people high protein, some people high carbohydrate, there was absolutely no difference on the impact. So literally the people lost the same amount of weight, had the same impact on their metabolism. So that, I guess, kind of a little bit disproves the fact that maybe protein is the solution to keeping your metabolism revving higher. Because again, I will make that point that when we were competing our diets were very high protein. You know, they were moderate carbohydrate, very low fat. And everything that we were doing was pointing towards the fact that our metabolism should have been zipping along incredibly and they weren't. So that was just another interesting note that I found as I was looking into this. So we'll take a moment to, um, to pause and say, what if you've got into the state where you know you've suppressed your metabolism? Like you know from, from your comp prep, that you're not eating as much as what you wish you could be or that you believe that you should be for how much muscle that you're carrying. So I, so I thought I'd go in and do a little bit of research about how do I restart my metabolism. And also, I, I guess, you know, things that I have done along the way, because as I said, coming out of competing and then not training as hard, you lose a lot of the calories, like a lot of the calories that you're burning are from the training. So 
how do you resolve that and not just end up gaining a heap of weight because your metabolism is not running where it needs to be? And this is some of the things that I found out. And, and interestingly enough, as I said, one of the recommendations is eat plenty of protein at every meal because protein can temporarily increase your metabolism when you're after you eat it. It basically it is thermogenic in a way that it creates heat out of your body. Your body does increase its calorie burning after you've eaten protein. So if you're not suppressing your metabolism and you're eating your protein, I mean, I don't believe it's necessarily the direct impact as per what that other study said, but I believe that, you know, protein is so essential for a whole bunch of other reasons. So that's a good place to start, you know, looking at protein at every single meal, not just dumping one lot of protein and trying to get your whole protein requirement out of, you know, one meal each day. So dividing your total protein requirement up over a series of meals is always a good thing, regardless of this. Drink more water. And this is something which I've actually seen in a few different studies where people who drank 500 ml of water before a meal actually lost more weight than people who didn't drink the water. So maybe that's because they were filled up and they didn't they didn't feel like they could consume as much food. Maybe, I don't know, I've drank, you know, you drink a glass of water, it does make you feel a little bit fuller for a while, but I don't think ultimately it impacts the amount of food that you're going to eat. But this one particular study, people who drank four litres a day versus two litres a day, not looking specifically at timing of that liquid or of that water, they actually lost more weight as well. So there is definitely something in that, that, um, you know, water, it hydrates our cells, it's essential, you know, it, keeps our body running. It's 80% of our muscle. So there's definitely, you know, staying hydrated is a way of, um, you know, keeping that metabolism ticking over. Another one is do high intensity workout. So to me, any kind of exercise, it's not like it's increasing your metabolism because you're doing the exercise. There are different types of exercise. And I will actually talk about this in a different podcast. In fact, I've just kind of given the cat a little bit out of the bag as to one of the topics I want to talk about. And that is, you know, the intensity of the cardio that you do, because there is evidence that certain types of cardio do have a, a greater impact on long-term increasing your metabolism. A heap, you know, heap of steady state on the treadmill, which is another thing which is really, really popular back in the day. Maybe not the best way to increase your metabolism, but those short bursts of hit are going to have a greater impact on increasing your meta metabolic rate. So you've got two things going on there. If your metabolism has stalled because of, you know, suppressing it through dieting, to bring it back, you are going to have to do some type of activity. Like you, you, there's no way that um, just by sitting there and doing nothing that it's going to come back. So part of that strategy is burn more calories by actually doing more, but then long-term you're going to get that increase of repeatedly doing more. So that's, a, um, that's another thing. I love this one. It says lift heavy things. Now that... That is what I was saying before about when I finished competing and I had to drop my training back because of injury and, and whatnot, that's where I actually found I had the biggest impact in not burning as many calories. Like a weights workout, no matter what any chart or table might say that, oh, you're going to burn like 800 calories using the rower for an hour, but weights theoretically don't seem to stack up in that way. I think they underestimate the adrenal stress that you put yourself under when you're lifting like beyond your natural ability. And the, that's where you need to be basically to really grow some muscle. And uh, so that again in itself is going to have an impact on the calories that you burn. If you're combining it with suppressive dieting, it's not going to work. It's not going to be enough. But then at the same time, if I hadn't have been doing that training and I had it just been dieting, 
I hate to think where my metabolism would have been. And obviously you do hear stories of people who eat under a thousand calories. And to me, that's unthinkable. So I probably was actually eating a lot um, for <laughs> when, when, when you put it into context, that was amazing the impact that the weights do, but using not, and, and I guess what, what that's saying is not just going in and doing moderate tight weights, but if you're in the gym, then, you know, trying to actually do some, some decent weight if you're trying to bring your metabolism back. Again, this one comes back to what we call incremental energy burn, and that is stand up more. <laughs> like literally we've we, like humans, and this is my little pet, my pet rant that I'll go on. I think that modern society has set ourselves up to be unhealthier um, just by taking out the need to do almost anything. We have drive throughs we have remote controls, we have everything's electronic, automated, we don't have to physically go and do as much. And a lot of, you know, where a lot of the calories that you burn are just basically from moving around. So the less that you move around, the less that you have that opportunity just to burn what they call incidental calories. So get up out of your chair, walk. And that's, I guess, where that popularity of the thousand, you know, 10,000 steps and stuff like that has come from is um, just keep moving no matter what you're doing. Don't just, just, just sit yourself on the couch and do nothing. You do have to kind of be constantly moving around. Um, here's the easy things that don't require too much effort. Drink a lot of green tea or oolong tea. So obviously green tea is known for having the catechins. The catechins are related to fat loss. I'm going to do a little bit of a, a plug here and talk about International Protein's Rip to Shreds because we have a green tea that we use in Rip to Shreds is incredibly high in catechins, which is, catechins, which is the, the fat burning component. So obviously Green tea is great, but you're probably going to have to drink litres and litres of it to get any decent amount of those components. Whereas, uh, you know, a proper fat burner that has the right type of green tea in it is going to do do wonders. And those those products definitely will support, you know, like, like I say, we, we call them fat burners, but they're not so much a fat burner as much as they are a metabolic support because they're going to help you to keep your metabolism going at a reasonable rate. And those are the other things which go into that. Eat spicy foods. Chili is actually one of the few things which is proven to increase your metabolism. So you basically you have green tea, you have caffeine works and chili. I did a, I did a um, talk on this a, a while back and I looked into all the different herbals that were claimed to promote fat loss and the ones with the actual evidence around them were those. Now, chili, there's, it's not everyone's taste, but it does actually work. So um, if, if you like spicy food, go for it because it, it's going to, it does actually have that impact on your metabolism um, and sleep. Underrated, don't, can't talk about it enough, but there's, there's so many things that reset when you're sleeping. If you're not sleeping properly, your body doesn't have the opportunity to do those. So if you're struggling to get your metabolism going, drink more water and sleep is probably going to be a long way towards doing that. So yeah, those are the those are some tricks tricks things you know things proven by research to try if you have got yourself into that state of finding that your metabolism is a little bit tanked. There's there I mean they don't talk about it here, but you know from my own perspective, and again this is something that we'll talk about more in a future podcast. So the things which maybe younger people because you you, know, you can basically crash your metabolism at any point in time as you as we talked about eight weeks is pretty short period of time and a lot of people have probably spent already you know eight weeks on a diet so they're probably already you know suffering from that in some way but put on top of that as you get older there's a whole bunch of other things which happen so we'll talk about that in a different podcast but just to sum up 
Um, what I would definitely try if I was able, you know, if I was going back to the start or as a new competitor or anyone who's even in the middle of their competitive career, you can always you know, change this now. I would definitely, um, you know, work out what my maintenance diet was. And then I would start on a maintenance minus 500 calories. So as I mentioned earlier, I would normally start on about 300 less. So I actually would increase the deficit for the first, for the three weeks. And then in the fourth week, I would go back up to my maintenance, my calculated maintenance, and I would run that cycle for as long as possible. And I would literally um, try to maintain that. And I would actually use more exercise to, you know, increase the amount that I was burning. So when I was competing, I would always alternate. Like one time I would increase exercise. One time I would eat cup food, increase exercise, cup food. I would probably try my hardest if I was doing this again to keep my calories that I started out on as close to as what I ended on and use the exercise as the, the main variable that I would manipulate to, uh, to get the result that I wanted. So hopefully you found that interesting. As I said, I'm not going back now to test it out. So I would love, you know, people who do have the opportunity who are still competing, if they're not already trying some kind of diet cycling, you know, give us your feedback, contact us, you know, we're contactable on the international protein page. We also have the bustle talk group of people interested in joining that, but, uh, and even um, on our YouTube channel, because we, we're having video as well as audio for our podcasts now. Um, yeah, we would love comments, like what are people's experiences? What have they found? And, um, you know, definitely I recommend you try it out. If you're enjoying Muscle Talk podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a little time and leave us a five-star review on Spotify or whichever platform you're listening on. It'll only take a few seconds and it will allow other people to discover our show and share the knowledge.